Hello, everyone. So uh, we are back today for another career and spirituality conversation. So for those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Julie Pohn, and I support spiritual seekers having a career experience to grow professionally and spiritually. And today I have the pleasure to uh, meet Tina Fry. Hi, Tina. How are you today? Hi, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. So Tina, I'm excited for this conversation and especially that we have, we have had a chat with your husband, Johan, not that long ago. So uh, that's exciting to see how your career trajectory and your experience with spirituality. So I'm excited about that. And um, before we start, as usual, we'll, we'll have a one, two minutes little grounding so for everyone who, who is able to do that without taking any risks, so don't do that if you're in a car or something like that, but let's close our eyes and give ourselves a little stretch. If you wish, allow yourself to find a comfortable position. And uh, with the eyes closed, let's, let's first press our feet onto the ground just to feel the support of the earth underneath ourselves, the ultimate support that we're having in this reality, just giving, giving her a little acknowledgement and gratitude. And then bringing our attention and focus back up to our chest and right in the middle of our chest to our heart. And maybe we can feel our heart beating. Maybe we can even hear our heart beating, paying attention to our heart and visualizing, imagining as if our breath is flowing in and out directly through our heart. And from there, just uh, taking some deeper and slower breath for about a minute, breathing a little bit slower and deeper than we usually do. And keep visualizing our breath flowing in and out from the heart. as we take this slow deep breath. Now, beautiful. And when we are ready, let's uh, open our eyes again and uh, ta-da, <laughs> welcome back. Hello that was again. beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. So welcome, Tina. So um, 
for our audience. So Tina is the founder and creative director of TF, sorry, TF Design. So TF for Tina Fry, Tina Fry Design. And uh, so TF Design is a homeware, furniture, lighting and accessories company that Tina founded 16 years ago. So that's gonna be interesting to, uh, to talk about her career and how she moved from, from actually finance to design. And um, for the, those of you who are curious and can't wait and want to have a, a look at the, the designs and you want to type it in while you're listening to us, you can check uh, www.tf.design or you can jump on Instagram at, at Tina Fry Designs. And uh, I'll make sure that the name appears on the screen so you don't have, so you can just type it in and it's easy for you to find. But I know myself, if I heard about some design stuff, I would straight away would want to have a look while I'm listening. So I hear you. Okay, so Tina, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, as usual, I'm gonna uh, grill you with my first question. <laughs> which is about spirituality and how, what actually, what is your relationship to spirituality and what does it mean to you? How, 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 how has your spiritual journey been so far? Well, first of all, thank you so much for the kind introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, so spirituality, um, it's interesting to think way back to one's childhood because spirituality is probably something that's a part of you, um, whether or not you pay attention to it or not. Uh, if you really sit back and think about it, you realize that it probably was present with you since you were very young. Um, for me personally, I feel I knew about it since I was very young but forgot about it for many years, because as we grow up, um, go to school, have our parents, society, education, whatever that is that's all around us, it inevitably sort of starts to cloud um, what our pure being and our pure essence and source and people are, your identity, your, your person is truly. Um, and so a lot of times those clouds that sort of get in your way of knowing who you are, um, gets lost. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes people are able to rediscover it later in life. And sometimes they may or may not, or it just, it, it might be there, but you don't even recognize it as spirituality. Um, for me, I feel I remember uh, certain things when I was really young, like say when I was the age of maybe four or five before I was born in Hong Kong and I remember living in Hong Kong at the time and my family, we moved to Canada when I was about six or seven years old. But when I was young and before I started going to school, I remember, you know, this would have been around the age of four or five before a lot of the preconceived notions of right or wrong, what's possible, not possible, um, before those belief systems really get into your head. And I think as I've read about it in later life, it's where your mind is more elastic and you have basically better access to what spirituality is. Mm -hmm. um, I guess is what I define as the spirituality side is there's like a bit of a knowing of something maybe bigger, different from yourself. It's, it's your soul or who you are. You can almost see yourself from a removed aspect of who you are. And I, I have this recurring 
sort of uh, remembrance of my childhood at around age four, kind of thinking, you know, I'm this being that's plopped into this existence in this family with this household in this life. And I remember having this really kind of profound knowledge or feeling of this um, I, as a soul, I guess, maybe now that I think about what it is, but there was some feeling of a removal of myself from me physically, that there was this interesting sort of um, concept of it. And I forgot about this really growing up and really never thought about it until um, I'd say about six years ago and I started to get really, um, started to get into meditation and had these thoughts of like, Hmm, this is really interesting. It's almost like a remembrance of something that I probably already knew about myself mm -hmm. since um, childhood. Mm -hmm. And um, so growing up, I um, sort of forgot about it. However, I was raised um, Catholic. So I went to Catholic school, went to church and spirituality. I think growing up, you define it as the typical things. What you <laughs> learn going to church, God, Jesus, all of the typical um, belief systems of what spirituality is, but that real true meaning of what it is, I don't think you completely resonate or understand what it is or what it feels like, because it's in a way a bit textbook in the sense that you can read all about spirituality, but until you actually start to feel what that is like, it, it becomes a different sort of understanding. And um, so for me, the spirituality side started to really develop <clears throat> more six years ago, when I uh, started to, as I mentioned, get, get into meditation, and starting to really discover what this voice, this feeling, this sense of source connection. And um, so to me now, I think spirituality encompasses a lot of this sort of unseen, knowing energy. Um, and it's not necessarily defined just by the vision of what growing up God, Jesus, uh, because spirituality is not just one religion. It really is many different backgrounds, religions, belief systems, and the commonalities between all these different connections to spirit is um, defined differently, but they're all spirituality. And um, so we all have this in common, and it's like something that's much bigger than all of us. Yeah. So that's how I feel spirituality to be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I like your description of um, of uh, the feeling as a kid. Mm. Uh, I had something, I'd, well, probably not similar, but of a, uh, a weird feeling. I remember sometimes I'm asking people, oh, do you remember that when you were a kid? And sometimes people look at me like, uh, what? <laughs> I remember having these uh, weird thoughts that you know, weird question about what am I doing here? Or what oh, is this? Yes. I mean, as in, in, in what is this world? You know, not being like a, a, a deeper question than like, you know, what's this, how, like something, it's hard to explain as an adult, but it's the first time that I hear someone, you know, like evoking something, maybe a little bit similar so it sounds like you had a deeper sense about what it meant that you were like a, a soul and that had been kind of you know isolated and like in this world I couldn't really grasp what it was but I remember really wondering what the hell what yeah 
Yeah, and I and I don't think we even I even understood it as a soul, but I remembered feeling separate from it, and that the feeling of my parents. I realized they were my parents, but there was almost like I don't want to say a choice. Maybe maybe there was a choice that your soul and your past life before you come to Earth, if you believe in that. Um, perhaps there was some knowing that you know you were separate and that there was a choice to come into this earth but there was this distinct feeling of awareness of i'm in this family versus any other family and that there was a knowing of something different about that oh yeah so yeah it goes beyond so yeah about mm, there is there, there is some sort of a plan there has been something designed here I, I chose to be with this particular set of uh of uh, parents okay right. oh that's very right. yeah 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 right but i agree with you it's probably at that age that we are the closest from mm. remembering right 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 and i i know i've since read more about this and that there are um parents who communicate with their babies before they're born or babies knowing when they're born and so kind of reading and hearing more about that, it's kind of helps me piece together, oh, that's probably why I felt that way. It was a very unusual, distinct knowingness of something different <laughs> that I couldn't I explain. Yeah, I don't know if the if nowadays, is it that the veil has got thinner or like, you know, we are moving into a different, I don't know, consciousness state or dimension whatever way you want to call it or is it because of social media we hear more about these stories but I, I, I've seen a lot more of these testimonies of parents mm -hmm. saying oh my daughter or my yeah. son has just told me like oh but uh, mommy you're not you know like uh, I had I had a different mom I, who basically the children described mm -hmm. the, the parents they had right before like they're right. really very specific about right like past life experiences yeah. or reincarnations or things like that yeah. and that is truly fascinating that wasn't quite what I had but reading about it and there's um too much evidence out there of people with their past memories that really leads you to believe ah there's something probably much bigger than we're able to understand because when you focus really on our limited senses of sight, smell, sound, and, and so on, it's actually very limited. And it's not until you actually start to pay attention and open up to these other senses that you realize there's actually a lot more out there than what we're, we're taught to believe we're capable of. Um, and so I think even if you told me six years ago, before I got into this, that I would believe this sort of possibility, um, I would have thought you were nuts. <laughs> you know, I would have thought you're a hippie person and like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but as things started to open up for me and experience started to become more firsthand and interesting, I no longer doubt the possibility of a greater spirit, a greater source and um, greater energy beyond us. And um, it can be very reassuring as well to know that. <laughs> yeah um yeah so imagine so like you, you've started your meditative journey let's say six years ago imagine if as children like you know like we are when we're in that phase of like nearly remembering then we would be starting our journey into meditation like you know how that may speed up our our process of understanding our connection with everything and and 
yeah, spirituality, but you know, like it's probably getting, you know, maybe we're getting there in education. I don't know. Well, I feel it is in many respects because you do definitely do hear of more um, uh, reading and unless it's just something I'm paying attention to, but in terms of consciousness and the openness to it and meditation, it has become more common to talk about it. And so if parents are into it and they teach their children, uh, inevitably they're bound to be more encouraged to not block that side of them growing up, right? Because children, I think, are so plastic in their abilities to learn that if you actually encourage them to be open to it, um, it, it can only be beneficial because it's like practice. It's a muscle that you can learn to utilize. So it's the... Uh, yeah, I, I do think it's becoming more um, into our consciousness or into popular culture, whatever that is, but awareness and mindfulness. I mean, I know we hear those terms, but um, it can only help to encourage folks to become aware of what is around them, what they feel within. And um, yeah, I think that's that's a good movement to be in. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so moving on maybe on to, you know, like your more prof your professional journey. Yeah. So can you tell us, um, give us an idea of your trajectory? Where did you start? And uh, now we know that you're in a very creative <laughs> career, but uh, uh, and I I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of uh, people who are have a, a creative incline and um, uh, inspire them with possibilities. So um, up to you, Tina, <laughs> give, yeah, us sure. A, sure. give us your story. Sure, happy to do that. So if I really think back to my growing up in my childhood, and this might not be um, dissimilar for a lot of people, um, I maybe even more so of my generation, because uh, I think back in the time when I grew up, people tended to have careers that were very long and they worked for probably the same company until they retired. And that was maybe more common in my parents' age. And so by the time it got to be my generation, um, I probably had a bit of that belief system that, hey, you're supposed to find a job, you know, make money, have a career, get married, have kids, have a car, house, the typical <laughs> beliefs of what's considered success. And um, the I think uh, on top of all of that, there's the cultural side of things where growing up with, you know, Asian parents, there's an expectation perhaps of, um, you know, acceptable careers that has to be uh, respectable, science, doctor, lawyer, whatever that may be. And so at that, some point, that, I remember... That's not a legend? No, that's no. not a legend. You said like, don't think Asian it. parents? <laughs> it's probably not a legend. There was like probably, a, even if your parents didn't say so, I think culturally it's... Uh, your epigenetics, whatever it is, culturally, you kind of maybe feel this pressure in a way to pick a career that's not too out of the ordinary. Yeah. And um, so my whole entire life, since I was little, I was always creative, though. So this was something that always brought me joy. I always had access. Luckily, I was very mm -hmm. fortunate. My parents provided um you know, access to things like drawing paper, pencil crayons. Um, I always had access to materials for creating things, but they were always so much fun for me. Um, it never occurred to me that that could be a career. It was something that was just a joy. But I think the other cultural side of, hey, you're supposed to have a career, 
there's the other side to pick something that's challenging. So I, I always thought learning was important and I still do think learning is important, but there was also this fine line of, okay, is learning and struggle like to do something that's not your natural path? Where's the fine line to know where that border is? But growing up, I you know, thought, okay, uh, maybe I should be learning science, math, chemistry, and 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 uh, felt perhaps that was the right path to what a proper career was. And so, even though I did all the enjoyable things that I really liked with creative, um, it just never really felt to me like something I would pursue as my job. Um, you have, let's say, was it was it coming from you? Uh, like, let's say if you had wanted at the time to pursue something creative, would you have been, would it have been possible or, or would it have been badly received that you, you, you hmm. sort of felt that that was not allowed? I don't know if it was not allowed. I think it didn't seem like it was feasible. So it wasn't discouraged for me to do creative things. I definitely did it, but it was always thought of as a hobby. I mean, I was always making things, but there was also then the school, the study that was separate. And so you were expected, I think, as society in many ways to pursue what, like go to school, make sure you'd get your good grades. And then anything you do is fun. Some people pick sports and, you know, I played musical instruments and I did creative things, made things with my hands, but that was always kind of not thought of as the career path. Um, I think partly also perhaps it's society education belief systems, it never occurred to me that that was a path to be an artist um, or to pick that as a career. I also grew up in Canada. Mm -hmm. Great place to grow up, lovely country, friendly people. <laughs> but I think that the um, industry or really options for jobs, careers, it, it I never really saw at the time, and maybe times have changed nowadays, but I never really saw where the career path was at that time. So it also, I guess, never occurred to me that that was something to be pursued as a job. So by the time I got through school and, you know, did the standard courses you had to do to, to graduate and then get into university, I had to decide what I was going to do. And then when I entered university, I thought I was going to be an, a dentist. And so I went into pre-dentistry. I mean, oh. <laughs> uh, so studied all the sciences, chemistry, um, biology, you name it, physics, math, all the, the hard subjects that you need did to you get. Think you were gonna be, did you think you were going to be, did you have a, like a particular interest or was it just, uh, <laughs> you know, out of, of you show why not? Well, it was partly, okay, practical reasons. If you're a dentist, you have your office hours. You don't necessarily get called to the ER, whatever that might be. I mean, it's not like you couldn't with the doctor either. I have no idea why. Maybe because I was meticulous. I don't know. <laughs> Could imagine working with my hands and being really detail-oriented. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it felt like a respectable career. And actually, I should say, I have a feeling I picked dentistry because it it was at a university that was three hours north of where I grew up. And so it meant I could go away for school. And so it was perhaps prompted by some silly aspect of, that, <laughs> of hey, I can have some freedom of not yeah. living at home. So <laughs> decisions that you make when you're young are really quite funny. 
So I went away for school and um, it was very clear when I got to university what my strengths were. Uh -huh. And I think I knew that pretty clearly because all those science classes that I did, they were a complete struggle. And I knew it within my soul that it was like, oh, this is the most tedious, most uninteresting subject for me ever. And it's not to say there are natural people who are really good at it. And you just look at them in awe, like how in the world does, do you just whiz through this sort of a thing, right? Yeah. But for me, I remember I had the art electives. And so I would have the studio art class or art history or whatever those courses were. And I just felt so alive. Um, and there was this distinct remembrance of the knowledge. And when I was in one faculty, like everything about my being completely fit into one and not in the other. And uh, that was very obvious to me at the time. However, at that age, you know, I think you're also partially dependent on your parents and approval from your parents is important. And of course, financial support, et cetera. Um, and so I felt really compelled to, I need to finish this degree, even though it just was soul sucking painfully hard. And, you know, my grades were like, eh, you know, they, I got through, I was fine, but yeah. it was really the other courses that I enjoyed that, you know, helped with the grades and not, not the actual courses that I needed were not the good grades. Needless to say, I graduated with my science degree and was like, what am I going to do with this degree? Um, because it was kind of a bit general because I decided at some point, or it was probably decided for me that my grades weren't really going to be good enough for me to get into dentistry. <laughs> so the signs are there. Um, at some point, I thought maybe I'll switch into food science. And um, I worked in a lab and two summers in a row, and it was also equally like mind numbing work. <laughs> Uh, so, so there were there were times when I kind of just knew this is uh, probably not going to be my long term life goal. Like if this is going to be my job and I'm going to have to do this until I whatever retire, because that's also the mindset at the time that you pick something and you stick with it until you retire. Um, I knew that that wasn't going to be the thing for me as well, because that summer job was just uh, it's good that I had the summer job um, in that field in food science, because it basically told me I knew I didn't want to be in a lab and just doing the same thing. It was very repetitive over and over again. There might be different types of jobs in food science that would have been more interesting, but that summer job for me was very eye-opening that that wasn't the one. So then I ended up um, switching and doing a business degree and then um, majoring in finance and then graduating and working in public accounting. Now, keep in mind, even though I did switch, <laughs> to switch programs and um, finish that, there was still some signs along the way that, you know, I can get through this. I probably learned to study better and get better grades and got through. And when I, when I graduated, I had lots of job offers um, that for, you know, in Canada, we do like the chartered accountant program. Um, and I got lots of job offers and worked in public accounting and then eventually moved to the U S and became a certified public accounting, a CPA. Um, and, you know, those, I, I was able to do it and uh, and um, have a good career and um, eventually worked in industry in different different companies. And um, I, it was, uh, I guess, something you're able to do, but you're not truly lit up by the passion of it. Um, and so that I think that whole first part of my career was, I'd say, about 13 years of my career doing the finance side of things where um, I did the expected, you know, having the job title, having a car, you know, the car that you wanted, whatever. I mean, all those material things. And at some point, the uh, boxes. 
checking the boxes yeah. and you realize this is not all about just the money, the fulfillment of that. It's not fulfilling. It's, it's not truly what um, makes your soul tick. Um, however, I, I know that having that career has its advantages in this, in the sense that, you know, when you do have some financial independence, you're able to utilize that time to kind of focus on, Hey, what sorts of things do I really enjoy? What do I like? I really enjoyed traveling. I really enjoyed people. I, you know, enjoyed experiences. And um, so it allowed you to, or afforded you the freedom to do some of those things. But um, at some point you do know that those are not quite enough. Um, and so uh, as I was in my finance career, I started to work for progressively smaller and smaller companies, which ended up being a little bit more fulfilling because at least you feel like you're having more of an impact. You're able to have some influence and contribution. Mm -hmm. And um, so it feels more satisfying. You're not just in a large corporation where it feels like there's more anonymousness to people because I think connecting with people is, is kind of nice. Um, and so as I, in my career, I guess, um, I started to work for smaller companies and the last company that I was with um, was a startup and I managed to have a small exit, which then allowed me to take a break to discover, hey, what am I going to do? Really, really do. And at that point, I um, actually remembered, you know, talking to my husband and he says, well, why don't you do your own thing? And I was like, sure, why don't I do that? <laughs> and um, I remember getting the company name at the time, which was Tina Fry Designs. And we've since shortened it to TF Design. But at the time I got the company name, I didn't even know what I was going to do yet. Oh, wow. uh, but I just knew I needed to pursue something different. So I took the time off and um, it wasn't really that that long. I'd say it was quite a few months. And um, I remember I uh, did some traveling, but I also remember looking on my bookshelf and thinking, huh, how is it that I have all these books um, on resin, which happens to, happens to be the material that I specialize working in? Um, so it, it some books on what? On resin. It's this material oh, called resin. resin. Yes. So my collection is mainly um, sculpted and then molded and cast pieces in resin, and the material is kind of unusual in the sense that. Um, the, it, it can look like glass, it can look like ceramic, it can look like stone. And so there's something about this materiality of this um, mm -hmm. medium that I chose to specialize in that was interesting to me. And it was funny that I, on my bookshelf, there was this book that sort of called out to me, or there were several books actually. And it was like over the years when I was doing my creative things, you know, I buy books and look into materials or things that I really was interested in. And it was like, you know, that's really funny that um, that was something that led to me uh, to realize, hey, there's a material that you can work in. Um, there's also a breadth of ideas that I knew I wanted to create. Um, and the material, material was something that I knew I could use to work with to translate those ideas into something that was physically um, tangible. And I also felt that there was a breadth of endless ideas associated with being able to focus on this direction of using this material. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how the idea of my company started. Mm -hmm. So so I remember when I first started the company, I um, sculpted um, some items and, you know, it's almost like you could, I could visualize at the time what I wanted to create 
And when I sculpted that piece and then it was eventually cast in the resin material, it was translucent and it was beautiful and it looked exactly like what I envisioned the item to be. And to see that item come from an idea in your mind to fruition to something you're holding in your hand, I remember it was just the most profoundly beautiful feeling. Um, and I just, I mean, I, I cried, like it was just this fulfilling um, sense of being able to make something that you imagined and then now you're holding in your hand was pretty profound experience. And uh, so that's, I guess, how creativity for me became this, ah, oh, okay, it's so rewarding. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> it's amazing, like the way you just described it, because it's a, like, it's, it, it's a true creation in, in, uh, materiality but it reflects creation in life in anything and if we don't have a vision then we can't create our vision and the way you describe it like would, would apply to anything that we might want you know any circumstances that we would like to create for ourselves in our life so that's uh, yeah. it's actually beautiful except, yeah. except it's like yeah it's it's happening in the in the flesh in the material that's a, yeah that yeah. must be it, super satisfying it is super satisfying and um so and and now that i look back to 16 years ago i i see how as i've learned more about the spiritual side of things how i think you just are aware of things but you don't know you don't call it that you don't pay attention to it but the things that you imagine, or as they now say, you call it manifestations, they actually are realities in the sense that that item that I imagined, this thought in my mind that now came into this three-dimensional object was the same as how I remember thinking, okay, I want to start a company. What do you envision that company to be? What do you, where do you see yourself? How do you feel when you're there what is it like when I'm at an exhibition where do I see the products being placed where what stores are carrying it where is this and so I remember very early on in my company when I started it having these dreams essentially you call it dreams and we all dream of something and I think it's good to keep those things call them your dreams but if you dream of something that dream of whatever it is is something that and I think instinctively bubbles up to the surface of impacting your actions and things that fall into place. And so when they talk about um, manifestation in that sense, I think it's just instinctively, we all know how to dream. We all know how to manifest those things into reality. Um, and people should just keep dreaming because those dreams lead to a reality. <laughs> so... Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, it, it's beautiful, but because my sense is that when we, like you know, we dream and we want to manifest, and maybe we know that it's possible, uh, but it's until we have an experience of it where we really realize that this is exactly what I had envisioned, and now it's here, so I've created it. Yes. It's sort of still is in the intangible. And sometimes hard to believe that we are actually yeah. are capable or we have we are that powerful. Yes. So now I'm like listening to you. I'm like just maybe having 
an experience of creating something with our own hands, like something creative, can be really an embodiment of our creative capabilities that apply beyond just, you know, possibly yes. art. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 absolutely. It's not just the object. It's like envisioning, envisioning yourself doing anything. Just essentially anything is, is possible. Um, and at the time when I was doing this, I didn't even know that's what you call it. Of course, now that I read about it, I'm like, oh, wow, I guess that just was happening. And um, I think a lot of people, when they accomplish whatever it is in life, they have an idea of where they want to be in the future. You don't necessarily know the specific steps of how to get there, but I think that's where you just follow it and the right path, you know, when they call it synchronicities, those things come to you, those doors open and um, you just step through them. Sometimes if you step through one that doesn't feel right or doesn't work, you change paths and then you, you will step through the right door to lead you to where your big picture is, where do you want it to be? Um, and I think you have to really trust that that is the case. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, some things can happen faster than others, but in, in general, I think you have to believe, you have to dream and just um, follow that path and, and see where it goes, so. Yeah. And see yeah. it the same way that you're seeing the object yes. once you're yes. like, crafting it before it yes. actually gets molded and created for real exactly exactly and so there's going to be some short-term goals like you envision making an object because every season I have to make new designs and so oftentimes I have to manifest or think about what yeah. those things are and I can visualize it before they're sculpted and then I have to actually sculpt it or make that object and then it comes to fruition um, but there are also the bigger picture, longer term, like where do you see yourself in growing a company, for example? How do you envision the space you're going to be in? Um, uh, you know, what's your showroom going to be like? Who do you have working for you? And so on and so on. So all of those things, there's going to be the longer term, bigger picture ones. And then the ones that are obviously more immediate um, that you have to manifest or dream about. <laughs> Oh, and are there also, because I'm like seeing the parallel with, uh, you know, how we manifest as well, mm -hmm. like maybe some that, you know, we think, you know, we think that's what we want and we try and then it doesn't quite work out the right way. And then maybe these ones don't make it if we're comparing to your craft and maybe, oh, but this one is not quite, you know, and maybe not going to make it to the shelves and to the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's I, definitely, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely experiments along the way when I do make things like I was creating some other new designs for another purpose recently. And I had all of these thoughts about wanting to make it. Um, and so they, they, I finished the prototypes, but they don't resonate for me. <laughs> and so they're kind of like, okay, put aside for now. And then we move on to other things. So the trial and error is also okay to understand that sometimes you will experiment with things that if that object doesn't feel right, you move on to do something else. Um, and it's a constant sort of process and to accept that that path is not always easy. There's gonna be little bends in the way, but generally speaking, if you just go with that flow, you will find the right path. And it's to recognize that yeah. that is how you feel. <laughs> yeah. So. I let you say, like, it's recognize how you feel. Do you have some uh, some uh, advice? How does it work for you? Like, uh, what's your 
intuitive process or how do you know that something is aligned for you or is not um recognize it for yourself yeah i feel like sometimes it's it was in the beginning it was um sometimes when you have a certain decision you're going to make or you something opens up that you see a possibility it's almost like a whole bunch of other things that you know are related fall into place like dominoes mm -hmm. and when that happens it's like oh that's got to be the right path um, and it was like that when I decided to specialize working with this material for my company at Resin, as I'd mentioned, it was almost like a whole bunch of things checked the boxes of, I knew it had the versatility, I knew I could come up with lots of ideas, I knew it was, there was a lot of, for me, mental boxes that I had requirements for that checked through. Um, and so there's this, this, um, this, like they say, synchronicities, a lot of things kind of fall into place. Sometimes that will happen very easily. Sometimes it's not that obvious. Sometimes you just need to try things and then you sit with it and see if it feels right. So because I've been getting into meditation so much the last six years, I'm becoming more paying attention to how that feels when some, something feels right. Um, and um, it's also sometimes the struggle of trying to do something. If, if you're trying to do something and it just, you're getting roadblocks or it's not working, it's it's, it's something that you've got to pay attention to. Um, however, there is also an interesting thing to, to be aware of, all because sometimes something is hard or um, is difficult or you're afraid. Yeah. That doesn't mean necessarily you don't pursue it either. <laughs> yeah. So Interesting you're putting your finger on this one. I was going to ask, how do you yeah. know the difference when it's, Yes. Diffi the difficulty yes. means this is a no, or the difficulty means right. oh, it's actually the right. right track because it's out of your comfort zone. Exactly. Okay. So um, obviously when you're starting a company, there's lots of ups and downs. Sometimes you're like, you know, throwing up your hands going, maybe I should just call it quits um, because, and when I talk to other young designers as they're starting their company, sometimes you will encounter points where you're like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? It's just insane. Um, so I do remember several points when I was starting my company, especially in the beginning when I was working initially by myself before I could hire folks to, to work with me. Um, in the beginning, there were times when I remember it was so physically, mentally draining that you're at your end of just exhaustion because um, you've worked so hard that you're like, what am I doing? Um, however, there was always still this, I don't know, vision of the future of what I wanted to achieve. I guess that kind of kept me going. And um, in that sense, I do remember very clearly like you know I've never worked so hard in my life harder than when I was in finance there was different struggles in finance they were also very hard at times but it was a different physical hard because you're sometimes packing your orders and you're in the beginning when you start your company you're packing orders lifting boxes and I mean it's physically setting up for shows or whatever that might be it, you're physically maxed out and drained and exhausted but somehow there's a different drive that energizes you because you have this vision of something beyond that present moment of struggle. 
that keeps you going. So, so it, it's not to say that doing something that's um, enjoyable, you're not going to have those roadblocks or challenges. That's actually normal and okay, because if we never persevere through those hardships, we also never get to the other side of what that is. Um, and so it's a, it's a sense of like, you can't just go, oh, this is hard. It's not supposed to be hard. You throw up your hands and you call it quits. It, it's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you have to really look deeper in what is the ultimate end goal you're trying to get to is that end goal, the bigger picture, longer term thing, something that still resonates for you. And if that is, then that moment in that present where you're struggling and just going, ah, I'm dying, <laughs> you know, is, is just, it's, you know, there's a light at the end of that tunnel because it's short term. Um, And so that's, I think, how you differentiate or knowing that doesn't mean you turn away from adversity, just like that. It's, it's um, also recognizing, is that something you can, you know, persevere, get over and move on to the next thing? I think that's where maybe the difference might be uh, to know the the vision. Good. The stronger vision of knowing what the bigger picture is, so that that immediate thing is something just temporary, essentially. <laughs> because you, you you shared with me as well that at some you know that at some say yes. oh, at some stage <laughs> you really you you nearly yes. went into burnout, and that's how you found yes. Uh, yes. meditation. So can you yes. tell us a bit about how was it the difference of how you operate before meditation and after meditation and maybe a bit about your experience of burnout and how you how you overcame it or, or if you had to if you were in, ever in the situation now that you're into meditation like that you would but for someone who might be in a situation of pre-burnout or burnout if you have any advice for people that would be awesome as well yeah, so it's a really good question about how you get to a point of knowing when it is burnout. Yeah. So for me, that happened six years ago. So I was 10 years into the company. And um, so the company was growing. Everything was great. I was growing out of my space and moving studios to a bigger space and having employees. And um, six years ago, I got to a stage where we were grow- outgrowing. So I ended up buying a building that needed nine months of renovation to get to where it is now. Um, But during that period when I did the switch with moving the space, the renovation, everything seemed to just kind of fall on my shoulders all it seemed like at the same time. So renovation, chasing contractors, getting things done, keeping employees happy, feeling like I completely destroyed my company because keep in mind the physical space we were working in we'd moved and we still had more renovations to do, but the physical space that we were working in was just in mass chaos. And so this went on for nine months that I was just like, what am I doing? Like I I physically had maxed out. Um, However, I think even leading up to that, um, I realized what happens is, so there's the vision and it's great, but we're still always learning individuals. We're always improving or figuring out, figuring ourselves out. We're always growing. Um, I, I realize now when I look back, I had a lot of growth to do because at that point in my life, I still had a lot of the preconceived notions of perfection, you know, ways that I, things that I, I thought things had to be done a certain way and 
that perfectionism, what you expect of your yourself, your employees, all of that stuff is still your um, baggage that you grow up yeah. with from society. <laughs> so we operate with a lot of those expectations on ourselves um, that we put up with and realize, and, and you think this is how it's supposed to be. So you, with those pressures eventually, even though you're pursuing something that's wonderful in your dream, there are things that limit you. They um, are they're not huge. the best. Hmm? They're huge energy drains. Yes, exactly. And they they inhibit essentially what you could possibly be. But you don't realize it because, you know, you're so excited building your company. It's all great. So there's like balances. So this excitement of building the company and then the workload kind of kind of getting to a point you're like, oh my gosh. And then sometimes you have the high and then it pushes back to the high. So you survive for a while, but then eventually sometimes you kind of get out of balance. So this, at this point, it was like, oh my God, what have I done? So it's not that this has gone away. Mm -hmm. You know what, as you were talking, I got this mental image of um, uh, a snake shedding, you know, the way like, you know, when they start to grow and then suddenly they must feel so yes. tight and it must yes. be so uncomfortable to, to crack the old skin and yes. feel free on the other side. Exactly, exactly. That's very, very accurate. And so if you don't experience this knowing of this hardship side, uh -huh. um, you never really know how to remove this shell of the skin, as you say. Uh -huh. And so what happened was at that six years ago point, I was like, I can't keep operating in this way of perfectionist, whatever it is that I knew that was limiting me to really appreciate what this higher side was. And so at that point, I hit this burnout. It was actually really serious, really bad. And I was just like, ready to just, you know, stop everything and just, I mean, just, it was awful, just bad, very, very bad, just mentally, physically, I was at my all time dark night of the soul. Um, so it was at a at the stage where I was willing to try psychedelics. And that was six years ago. And I had my first, like, and keep, keep in mind growing up, I never really did anything like this. Um, uh, but I, you know, tried acid for the first time and then subsequently found a mushroom therapist who basically sat me and I was able to break this cycle of what my belief systems were and, start to think differently about how do I approach life from a different perspective? How do I really focus more on these bigger picture, yeah. lovely goals and things that really make you tick and resonate? And um, so I think the mushroom therapy or psychedelics really helped sort of break through those. You know, some stuff, some layers. Yeah, some layers. And then the meditation as a result, because once you see you're able to get back there without the help of psychedelics. Yeah. For me, that was really helpful for the breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And um, so... And, and sorry, Tina, just to be clear, you you didn't just go to suddenly go to a rave party and no. take some stuff. That's not what happened. Huh? <laughs> no, no, no. And that's what's really funny because growing up, I didn't didn't do any drugs I didn't even do marijuana like I was kind of a nerd um and I don't really enjoy marijuana having tried it it's not not my thing so I I am not like your typical person so I wasn't into drugs at all and so it was always in a therapeutic setting with intention sitting with the therapist or 
subsequently sitting without a therapist, but always with intention. Um, and it was always something that unfolded and opened up into some knowledge that built on some knowledge you learned the last time and so on and so on. And it just keeps opening in terms of unpeeling the layers of what you need to learn. And I, I um, feel like there's intelligence to the universe that's um, available for all of us as a result uh, that that really just unfolds. And uh, so the meditation really helps you access that again without having to be on a psychedelic and uh, the practice of it and this muscle of doing it every day essentially allows you to reconnect and um, understand who you are, connect to spirituality and, you know. <laughs> so in that context, would you say that the psychedelics as a, a temper, a, a, either like a, a, a key holder or like an accelerator? Yes, accelerator. Yeah, accelerator. The spiritual journey and then, then it's yes. easier and it's faster than once we, yes. through meditation to, to have yes. like faster yes. results. Yeah. Yes, I, I do. Um, and I do think meditation is definitely the key way to get there. Um, I think I might have even started meditating very early on, right around this burnout phase. And I can't quite remember if maybe the psychedelics was kind of at around precisely the same time. Um, and, you know, some people can get there without it. Uh, but I do feel like I was lucky that that was presented to me as an option and I'm glad I took that step um, to experience really you know stepping outside of those routine as they say the default mode network to step out of the routine to see what I could see yeah. and um, at that low point when I was at my dark night of the soul like I, I, I guess it was my first I, I should describe one moment during the first psychedelic journey what had happened because I was so like stress so uptight just remember, remember growing your company at the time I was just in like stress mode right you can't continue to function that way but I, I had my iWatch on and the iWatch had the breathe app yeah. and during the psychedelic journey the breathe app came on and I remember okay I'm gonna breathe and I breathe inhaled and exhaled for the first time I felt like the hugest release of stress that it was the profound, most profound feeling of, ah, okay, I've forgotten how to breathe, like wow. truly, truly breathe, and just this release of the stress, and it was tears and tears associated with all of this, you know, you're hanging on to so much, yeah, ne like not negative energy, but stress, it's just anxiety, stress of like, to control everything when you're trying to be a perfectionist, and things you need to let go of. And so slowly that letting go of a lot of things and those beliefs, et cetera, those, whatever it is, the fears, essentially we're fearful of a lot of things, which is why we hang on to a lot of whatever those things are that prevent us from experiencing fear, right? Mm -hmm. And when you let go of it, it's very liberating. It's called fight or flight or freeze. Exactly. That's exactly what That's it is. stagnation holding yes. on to- Exactly. And we can't sustain- yeah, we can't sustain that way of being. Um, and uh, so that was a, a big opening for me. Um, I mean, just from a practicality standpoint, um, I was always checking my emails, always connected. <clears throat> there was never really an off mode, even on vacation, because you're always still responsible. 
Um, but knowing that you can actually stop now and things are going to be fine, like it's hard to kind of know you can really disconnect and it's okay. And that freedom of disconnecting is very liberating. And I think it allows you then to really use that space to connect to, okay, what else is next? What do I do? Like, what else is going to unfold? So it, I think it was super beneficial because having those moments of really hard times, low points, whatever you call it, is a, an opportunity to transition into something else bigger and better than what we thought we were capable of. Yeah. And so how has, how has it been since? What's the difference in your, in your experience of your own company, of your own creative process, now that you've stepped into this more expansive um, state of being? Mm -hmm. um, the more ex it, it's, so the company is, is chugging along. It's fine. It's very stable. It's, we've got great team of employees and just the joy of the gratitude essentially of working with a good team of people is also really wonderful. Um, so it's like a different perspective of, of everything. And then just creating from the place of love and joy and putting that item out there. I mean, it always was putting out an item of joy, but to really connect to it and really feel like what you are creating is something that is a bit a way of my way of sharing love with the universe is I guess a way of sharing um, this bigger meaning to what one does yeah. um, but in terms of the meditation itself so every day I do meditate at least an hour if I could do two hours it's even nicer but it's like a beautiful blissful feeling but it's sometimes even helps to um I don't know, sort out roadblocks, things that happen in your mind and to really parse apart kind of issues and see what is the bigger picture in, in everything. Um, but sometimes if you're not, you know, you're not thinking, you're, you're basically stepping aside to let whatever it is come through, come through as a message. Um, and so sometimes those messages solve the, these sort of problems or questions that you have come up. And um, I am feeling like right now I'm at a stage where, okay, so I've done the creativity thing. I've got the employees and everybody's happy. And I'm, I'm feeling like there's a, a path that's, that's fine. And it's, it's um, great. But as I get into this meditation, I almost feel like there's a bigger, even yet another soul purpose. There's a career purpose, but what is that soul purpose that's calling for me to do something more or what's next? Yeah. So in a way that is what I'm sitting with, what is the next? What is the, okay. the other way to mm. be in the world, yeah. <laughs> which is bigger, bigger than us, bigger than ourselves. It's like, how do you be? Yeah. <laughs> is this about having like you know this impact on like I know you shared with me that you're you know also uh, somehow guiding or maybe acting a little bit like a mentor for for people is is that part of possibly this next step for you like uh, the, the this purpose yeah I feel I feel in instinctively it is because when you're in this state of bliss um the best way to describe it is I feel abundant. I feel happy and healthy and joyful gratitude. And so it's, it's um, the next 
inevitable feeling is how do I share this with people? I want other people to have the same beautiful feeling. Um, and so whenever it's possible, I guess I love to just share that with people, whether it's fellow designers, friends, people who are stuck, your family, whoever it is, um, is how do I share this way of being, whether it's sharing how to meditate, talking about, you know, helping figure out what brings them joy, essentially. Um, any little way how you be in the world is, is a way to share that. Um, yeah, just to share that with people. Yeah, I love that. So then it's it's okay to share to share your contact with with the with the audience if some people feel drawn to maybe get in touch with you for advice if they're maybe a creative who might be thinking of taking a crazy step or maybe someone who's uh, you know like uh, hesitating or yeah. Uh, so like they they know how to you know how to find you know how to find you maybe if you have a if that's okay yes absolutely absolutely <laughs> yes awesome well, thank you so much Tina and so I know like we are nearly at time but um uh, I always like like to ask at the end like is there a question that I I have not asked you that you would love to respond uh to address or any parting words that you want to share before uh, before uh, we part ways yeah i think is to always be um not be afraid to take that step whatever that is um even if it's something that's fearful because you never really know what's going to unfold ahead of you it's uh it can be a beautiful journey <laughs> so take the step taking yes. the step one step at a time, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Well, <laughs> Tina, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Uh, I find it so inspiring that, yeah, we don't have to stay in soul-sucking, um, <laughs> soul-sucking um, professions and, and the vision, what I'm getting out of our conversation is, uh, is dreaming and trusting that the vision can become manifest and letting the vision guide us along the way. And maybe, yes, and maybe, maybe, maybe take some mushrooms along the way to help out with the, to speed up the trusting process. Well, I'm saying that jokingly, but like, I know it's a, it's a serious topic and, uh, and yeah. Like uh, amazing, I'm I'm very grateful that you are you know opened up and like you know told us about that. Maybe maybe it, it would deserve another conversation to get into this this aspect, which feels like a, a wide um, a wide topic as well in spirituality. So thank yeah. you so much, Tina. With pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much, everyone, and I shall see you next week for another conversation. Bye. Love you all. Bye. Bye, Tina. Bye.